Welcome to the Best Ever You Show with your host, Elizabeth Hamilton Garino, CEO and founder of the Best Ever You Network, helping you live your life to the fullest. How? Real people, including celebrities, real advice, real places, products, and businesses, real life stories. It's all right here for you with this radio show, printed magazine, websites, community, and more. Remember to visit us online, too, at besteveryou.com. And now here's your host, CEO and founder of the Best Ever You Network, Elizabeth Hamilton Garino. Hello, everybody, and thank you so much for listening to the Best Ever You Show. We thank you, thank you, thank you. We've got the coolest guest with us today. We have Marcus Ogden with us, and I'm so excited. It's one of those moments where you look back and you go, 10 years of hard work. I just celebrated my 10th anniversary with Best Ever You, and I'm thinking, how is this moment possible? And here we are, and it's so cool, and I'm so happy, and it's because of you guys. It is so because of all of you who listened to this show, who took this show when we were <laughs> we were talking to ourselves, I think, at first, <laughs> and you have made this <laughs> truly awesome. a blessing of a show. We're, you know, we're hitting millions of downloads now, and you guys share it, and and talk about it. And what I love more than anything about this radio show is that you guys embrace our guests and you talk to them and you share their books and their stories. And in this case, um, speaking opportunities and his stories about being in the NFL and all this amazing stuff. So I have Marcus Ogden with me and um, I met him on LinkedIn. Marcus, LinkedIn, the power of LinkedIn, huh? Oh, well, you know, all the time. You know, social media, I was just reading an article a good friend of mine sent me. His name is Dean Bunchu. It said, social media is the new Internet. If you're not out there posting good, positive content, if you're not out there engaging and meeting people through line and over line and all that kind of good stuff, you're really missing out. I mean, especially when it doesn't cost you much to, or, or if anything, like you should be out there working the, uh, the channels. And that's exactly how I have helped build my business in the last five years, four and a half to five years has been social media, but really particularly more particularly LinkedIn. Yeah, I, I love it. And I, um, I, it took me a little bit to get up the nerve to, to ask you to be on the show. I'm sitting there for two days going, you know, I should just, okay, okay, I'm going to send him an email. No, I'm not. Yes, I am. No, I'm not. And then you said, sure, I'd love to be on. <laughs> After all that yeah. nerve-wracking on my end, it was so funny to me. I'm like, well, that ha- that just happened, didn't it? And I ran out, and I told my husband, I'm like, guess who's going to be on the show? <laughs> so funny. So anyway. Well, um, well yeah. I'm, 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 I'm so excited to be on it. I always tell people this all the time. When you're in the process of trying to, you know, build a business, meet people, and really get your brand out there, you always want to take time for people that are really doing the right thing, that are trying to help people with positivity and trying to help people, you know, with a, a good message. Because in today's world, there's just so much negative. There's just so much horrifying yeah. stuff going on and it's nice when people actually have good positive messaging and that's what people tell me I mean, I've heard, I mean uh, Elizabeth I've heard people tell me Mark I've been following you for a year Mark I've been following you for six months well why don't you have to be sooner you know but again they want to see am I posting like this consistently or is it just kind of like hey I'm going to do it for a week or so good I'm going to go really really next week like they want to see the <laughs> consistency in what you're doing yeah well you've got some amazing um, things happening, but I, 
I'm going to mention where you are right now, but I, I really want to go back and kind of take our listeners through, if we can, of how you got to where you are right now. Um, but while, before we go there, I just want to let you know while you're listening, um, check out Marcus's websites. He's OgdenLeadership.com, which is O-G-D-E-N Leadership.com, and then MarcusOgdenPublicSpeaker.com, and you spell his name M-A-R-Q-U-E-S. O-G-D-E-N, and then publicspeaker.com. So those are two websites. You know, if you if you like to do two things at once and, you know, look at his website while we're, you know, talking and so forth, those are great websites. And um, so, but you haven't been doing this um, always. You were, it sounds like you had just a, a, a pretty uh, cool, you know, like a, a cool career in the NFL and things like that. And, I mean, t- tell us how you, what were you like, like when you were a kid? And go from there. I love I love that. And oh, before you go, I got to give a shout out to your to your friend, um, who we had on the show, Coach Edwin Thompson Edwin. too. Yep, I appreciate. Yep. Know. I oh, that was so fun I, having I, him on the show. <laughs> I've known cool. Edwin since I've known Edwin since 1998. Where I used to bomb a dollar ten cents off of him, and I told him <laughs> I was going to pay him back which I knew I wasn't going to pay him back because I was broke, to ride the bus home because I lived only oh. about 15 or 20 minutes away uh, when I went to college at Howard University. My father only lived about 15, 20 minutes away. So I used to, especially in the first year or two of my uh, going to Howard, I spent a lot of time at home. But, you know, Marcus Ogden is originally from Washington, D.C. He was raised by a single father, Mr. Cheryl Philip Ogden, who had hit, also went to Howard University. Uh, my dad got his degree in economics, and then when he got his master's from University of Maryland in economics, he ended up being one of the first African-American bank managers for the Federal Home Loans Bank of New York in their D.C. office. He ran their stocks and bonds room. My dad believed in diversity and inclusion. He believed that having a melting pot work environment was going to help drive better results, was going to help create collaborative relationships, and was going to help have the Federal Home Loans Bank have a better community image in Washington, D.C. in the early 1980s. So that's what he did. Uh, he was really big on leadership, respecting women, accountability, uh, politeness. We were large people. I remember, funny story, my dad was 6'4", at this time in the age, probably 4'20". My brother was 6'9", about 360 oh in the mid-80s. My brother was 6'9", when he was in the 8th grade. And then I was probably about this time, uh, late 80s, early 90s, I was probably about 5'10", about 195 pounds. And we <laughs> drove this little gray wow. Chev- Chevrolet bug. I remember us packing in the car my father on top of my brother, me in the back seat, gasping for air, trying to basically just get from the house to see. We lived, we both went to school in D.C. And now we're from D.C., but we, I mean, D.C. is not huge, but it's not small. So I, we were probably taking like a 30-minute drive, give or take, from our home to my, my elementary school and then my brother's uh, our middle school to high school. So that car ride was absolutely <laughs> treacherous. 
And, you know, but we always learn. And, you know, then, and then I think like two years later, he ended up getting a promotion uh, at work, and he ended up getting a, uh, a Lincoln Town car. I was like, thank God. So pretty much. <laughs> We grew up uh, with, uh, you know, very meager. I won't say meager. We had a, we had a. My father had a very good salary in the early, early to mid eighties, probably about one hundred fifty thousand dollars at that time, which is like probably three, four thousand dollars today. But what happened was when the parent, my parents divorced, and my brother was going to a very uh, upper echelon high school, and at this time in the eighties, it was twenty two thousand dollars a year wow. to go to my brother's high school. And today, St. Albans is probably about fifty grand a year to go to. Mm-hmm. So wow. by the time he, and he got let go from his job in the I want to say in the early nineties, uh, and he ended up getting diagnosed with kidney failure. And he was unable to work for any type of sustainable period of time. So he burnt through. He, his, he had about $100,000 of savings. And he had to burn through that to put my brother in high school. So by the time it got to me for middle school, like, you know, middle school, early high yeah. school, we were pretty much broke. So I remember that my great aunt honestly put me through high school because my grandmother's sister she was not wealthy, but she had a good savings from her job with the U.S. government. And her and my uncle, great uncle ended up paying for most of my schooling between my sophomore, junior, senior year of high school when my father could no longer, uh, just because of his situation with health and his job which could no longer uh, afford me to go to St. John. He didn't want to, he didn't want to pull me out of a of, of private school because Jonathan had six years of private school. He wanted me to have six years of private school as well. So, you know, I grew up with, you know, for me, from the age of probably, I'll say, nine or ten to about 18 or 17. I left, I left home at 17 to go to college. It was very, very difficult. No heat in the house. The oven was our heater for a long period of time. Uh, the air conditioning not working. Uh, you know, uh, my father, you know, uh, just didn't, just had poor health, you know, poor yeah. mental health. I'm sure, I'm sure, uh, extreme stress, uh, you know, and he died at a young age. He died at 57. He was only 57 years old. So hmm. his health had declined so greatly due to the fact that, you know, he just didn't have the means and he was unable to work. So my brother, of course, would pay for his, you know, um, you know, his home or brought him a car because my brother was very successful in the NFL, but you still had someone that literally was on, you know, was on their last leg for years. Yeah. It's, so. it's tough, isn't it? My, my dad's been really sick for a really long time too. And so I completely can relate. Yeah, and that, but, uh, that's the thing, like, People think that my brother and I, you know, came from a great, a great, a great upbringing, which we did when my parents were together. But when they divorced, it, it, see, my brother was 14, I was eight, so my brother had them together longer than I did. So I ended up really getting um, the short end of the stick when it came to financial security and when it came to all the opportunities. My father, you know, made sure I could have easily gone and lived with my grandparents, or if I wasn't going to leave my father because at the end of the day, no. I. I feel if I would have left him, he would have had nothing to go on for. I mean, you know, really. I mean, to really have his son, yeah. he fought for for sole custody, got that, 
and then to have one son go off to college at UCLA in California, which is all the way across the country, if I would have left my father because of the lack of food in the house properly and the lack of heat or air conditioning or the lack of, you know, of, uh, of the house, you know, not, you know, the house basically coming down upon us, I don't think he would have made it. Uh, much longer. I don't think he would have made it past maybe a year or two if I hadn't left him. So I literally just stayed with him, and he was also my best friend. Yeah, it sounds like it. I was going to say, it sounds like um, despite all of the obstacles, it was uh, there was a lot of love. Oh, I mean, without a doubt, you know, you talk about, again, my career, we'll get into that in a minute, like everything I am from leadership to accountability to respect to, you know, who I am now as a keynote speaker and as, and as an executive coach, and I'm actually launching an expert speaking academy, uh, you know, or an expert speaking academy uh, online very shortly. I've actually been gathering up some case studies from, and it's a great thing, Elizabeth, I'm getting people from all walks of life. I had a guy today this morning I interviewed in his early 40s, African-American. He is a transition manager at Fort Bragg. Had another guy I interviewed who is probably the same age as his early 40s, Caucasian, lives in Austin, Texas, and he actually works for Charles Schwab. And, you know, I have another guy I interviewed. I mean, all these people are from, you know, different walks of life, you know, different ages, uh, you know, Caucasian, African-American, you know, male, female. And what I'm seeing is everyone's saying the same thing, that when you get to know me, and you get to build that trust level, getting into our program definitely helps you become a better person, a better communicator, but it also helps you become a better you. Yeah, um, definitely. I, I follow you on LinkedIn with all of the the people talking about you and you talking about them. And I, I love it to, you know, just to see all the different people whose lives you're touching. It's, it's phenomenal. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. And you have a, uh, we're going to jump around a little bit as people can tell, cause we, you know, everything relates to everything. Um, you have a, a pretty good event coming up in May, don't you? Do you want to talk about that for a second? That's, yes. I have the, I have, I have the Ogden Leadership Academy, which is going to be May 17th and 18th in Henderson, Nevada, about 25 minutes from Las Vegas. This will be our fourth event. We've had uh, national sponsors like the Home Depot company, New York life, We've had great sponsors like Wiki Patrol, Zuddy Face Mask. You know, Wiki Patrol is from Tampa, Florida. Zuddy Face Mask is from Baltimore. Uh, we've had organizations, you know, people come all around. Uh, the NFL supports us. The different uh, different programs of the NFL support us. Uh, player engagement. We have uh, the National Basketball Association has supported us, NHL. We have lots of people who are, you know, uh, either entrepreneurs, small, medium, or large. We have corporate executives. It's a place for you to come and get support. I was talking to my one guy earlier today, Dave Swanson. He was talking about when you come to our events and you become part of our family, it's like you have others in the boat with you rowing to help you reach <laughs> yeah. your destination. And Isn't that important? Without support, we as people literally – we crave to have others support us yeah. or know that what we are doing is making a difference. And that's why I tell it all the time. If you want to start a business, right, just for money, you are always going to be never successful. I started this business in the retrospect of helping others, and I wanted to tell my story and my message to help others avoid my mistakes. And now going into my fifth year of business, really, really going fourth year, 
uh, I have really developed a lot of relationships with people. And every one of my case studies says, said pretty much the same thing. If they got to know me, they got to trust me. And once they got to trust me, then it's easy to spend money to better yourself. But, and I tell people all the time, you must invest in you before you can help others. That's true in everything. Yeah, You must invest in you before you can help others. I'm going to quote yep. you on that. I like that quote. Is that okay with you? Absolutely. Please do. Okay. All right, I'm going to do that. That'll be a, that'll be something I send out in social media later. Um, okay, go back, go back and take us, keep going with your story because I think it's so important. And if you can, can you talk about football and being a kid? Because we have a lot of young listeners uh, who, you know, we just we have that with Best Ever You. A lot of young. Um, aspiring, you know, want to play football or, or, you know, we've, you know, we've just got that kind of audience going on. And I want to make sure we touch those lives too, as we're talking, um, you know, about how, how did you make a decision to play football at Howard university? Um, were you playing in high school? You know, just take us through. So somebody in high, cause I, I told the whole high school here that you were going to be on and the whole football team and everybody was really excited and I said, this is going to be way more than about football, though. This is about decisions and trust and accountability and responsibility and actions and, you know, hard work and things like that. So, okay, I'm going to be quiet. No, no, great. <laughs> so, again, like you said, you know, I didn't play football in the seventh and eighth grade. I was too large. I enjoyed football not because, you know, I like playing with my friends in the backyard, street-style football. That was great. But I really idolized my brother growing up, and he was a huge football star. So I really yeah. wanted to be just like him. So, again, what I found is by doing football, I was able to express myself, you know, all the stuff going at home. I was able to, you know, be successful on the field, and I enjoyed playing with my friends and things like that. I literally thought – my career was over after high school. I didn't get one scholarship offer from a Division One football team. I was about six three and a half when I left uh, when I was graduating high school because I was still relatively young, and I got no scholarship offers. the The only offer I got was from Howard University when their head coach came into my home, told my mother and father that with the right work ethic, with the right temperament, and with the right dedication, I could play in the NFL. And I remember sitting there nodding my head, but thinking in my, thinking in my head, this is not for me. I really don't want to play in the NFL. I want to just be an investment maker like my dad. I want to go to school for free, play football, have fun, meet some good friends, and then go from there. So I got to Howard. I actually literally, I remember getting in 1998, I went to my first little mixer, and we had a bunch of us on the football team show up for, for a little stuff on air practice and all that. And then I remember the first day when the veterans came to practice, we had full pads, and I, you know, I was playing against a, a true senior. He was a, I, he was a senior, fifth year. I was a first-year freshman. And I literally got my butt handed to me. And I almost, <laughs> ended, up broke, almost ended up breaking my wrist. And I oh, no, went home to my dorm room, and I was like, I sat down oh, and I no. said, man, is this really what I want to do? Do I really want to be like this guy that's just, you know, you know, like, you know, and I was so disheartened. I was so frustrated. I was so oh. angry. And I remember calling my, but again, I, I remember calling my dad 
And I said, okay, you know, Dad, tell me, what do you think? He said, Marcus, look, you dominated high school, of course. This is your first year, first practice at Howard University. Your brother is, was just drafted two years ago as the best lineman in the NFL out of college. I mean, the best lineman out of college in the NFL. You're going to get tested. You also are the son of a guy who played football at Howard as well. So you have a choice. You can either go out there, man up, and you can learn some life lessons like discipline, hard work, leadership, and accountability, or you can come home and you're going to regret that you ever left because you never gave it your full opportunity. So after that talk, went out to practice that first year, won some battles, lost some battles, you know, ended up, you know, working out really, really hard in the weight room, and I ended up as a red shirt because my first year I red shirt. So my red shirt freshman year, I ended up starting at right tackle uh, for Howard. And I remember going down to my first game uh, in Mississippi. I was about 330 pounds. I was like, oh, I'm a starter now. I think I'm loving life. You know, I'm a redshirt freshman. I think I'm about to go out here and just you know, dominate the whole, you know, MEAC and all that. So I played first game, three sacks in my first college game. The guy in front of me was so much faster, so much stronger. He, he was a senior. And then I, I, I was like, good Lord, here we go again. So I, then I called my father again. I said, Dad, got destroyed. This is horrible. What am I thinking about? Am I cut out for this? He said, Marcus, okay, we're going to go through this talk again, aren't we? You're a redshirt freshman playing against a true senior who transferred from a Division One program and is, is really fast at the defensive end, and you have not really got a chance to get your body in shape yet to play. They understand this. The question is, are you going to go out there and be mentally tough and compete, or are you going to turn and run? Again, hung up the phone, went back to work that next week. The next game I had at RFK Stadium against a guy who actually got drafted when he got picked up in the NFL. We were both a, he was a year older than I was. He was a sophomore. I was a freshman. Played against him, and I had a dominating game. And then again, go. called my dad, and then he said, Marcus, look, now that you understand what has to be done, I expect to hear this every single time. You're going to have days that don't go well. I expect that too. But I expect that you to win more now than you lose now that you understand. So my whole career wow. at Howard, I was a, I was a four-year starter. Uh, I worked hard, and literally I never wanted to be a professional NFL player until right before my last year when the NFL scouts started coming out to my practice and started to ask me questions. They started wanting to see me uh, in, in one-on-ones and scrimmages. They wanted to see me, all that kind of stuff. They started coming to my scouting, my, you know, my practices, my games. And then I was like, okay, this is real. So then I ended up going to this hula bowl and playing against guys that were at Florida State, Rice College, you know, Alabama, Miami, all that kind of stuff. Again, I thought about what my dad said. Marcus, if you're going to do this, you're going to do it right. So I went out there, and I had a great practice. I had a great game. The scouts loved me. The general managers loved me. And I was talking to almost every team and all that type of stuff. And then draft comes around. First day, I don't get drafted. No phone calls. I'm like, man, what the heck? What is this? Are you kidding me? My second day. The draft comes to the sixth round, and uh, we'll say it's the fifth round, and I'm like, man, I'm not drafted yet. Like, what's going on? And then as I'm giving up hope, the light shines again. I get a phone call from the Jacksonville Jaguars, 
and I'm drafted to the NFL. I'm one of, if not the first, player from Howard ever drafted to the NFL. And, cool. again, what it talks about is that the times you think about giving up, you really shouldn't or you can't because if you give up, you're never going to know if that next second or that next – because, again, I literally had given up hope of being drafted in the NFL. I'm like, man, I got only got like another round, two rounds left. That's all I got. Uh, the, the likelihood is probably small. As soon as I, so I felt like that, I said, okay, all right, I, I'm just going to throw in a towel. The next second, the phone rings from the Jaguars. So, again, it's all about the life lessons of accountability, leadership, you know, proving that you belong, you know, development of yourself. And these are things that I talk about consistently as, an, uh, as a keynote speaker for my clients. Yeah. The, can I take you back for one second to what you were very first talking about, the point in college where somebody kicked your butt? I thought, I, I thought you were going to be funny with that, and you were really serious with that. So I, I right. was like, yep, so, um, but you, you broke your wrist. But I want to go back there for a minute because um, that's, a, that's a really pivotal moment for all of this. Well, I mean, pivotal, don't you, moment, don't you think? Well, oh, no, absolutely. That, I could have easily quit football at that time and thrown in the towel easily. But again, like my father said, you have to expect the trials and tribulations of what you're getting into. But if you're going to do this, you have to go all in. It's the same thing like with me in keynote speaking. But I've been doing this now for going between four and a half to five years. The first two and a half years were just like me being a rookie at Howard, being a rookie in the NFL, having those trying, struggling moments, questioning myself, is this the right move? Is this how it turns back? See, now I've learned now as a keynote speaker how to tie in the teaching points to my story. This is what I'm telling you guys, telling, telling, telling to your audience right now. Again, it's the same thing from me being a football player in high school who was on junior varsity that struggled when he got to varsity for his first time, when it, as a player who was a guy in college with the same issues, to the NFL, to the same thing I faced as a public speaker when I started. It's all about putting in your time, earning your stripes, and getting people to say, okay, this guy belongs at this point where he is. Yeah, I can't stress that enough. Even on on this end, I I don't play in the NFL. (laughs) I never have anything like that. And our experiences are completely different, but the same concept completely applies. For example, like with my book or with Best Ever You or anything, um, that's kind of the same thing I say. You know, you, you really have to be consistent and disciplined and work hard. And people just don't hand stuff to you. No, no, they don't. And, you know, uh, what I'm learning, like, because I'm getting set up for my, my expert speaking academy online with my business partner, is I actually had to go out last night, right? So, perfect example, interviewing people for my case study, right? So I have a laptop that my daughter has. It's a Mac, but the camera is broken, doesn't work. So I've been interviewing people through Zoom and sending them off to putting on, on Vimeo to be able to give it to my partner to use for part of our, our funnel. Great. Well, then he tells me, Marcus, this is good, but you can't see your face. 
nobody can if we can't see your face it's not it's it's it's, it's still effective but it's not as effective if people can see your face on these uh, Zoom interviews. So what I have to do, late at last night, you know, it's just been, you know, it's one of those times where, man, I'm just tired, this, that, the other. I had to go to Best Buy. This happened last night. Went to Best Buy, <laughs> had, to buy had to buy a laptop, a new laptop. It took me two hours to get it downloaded for all the junk and the windows and all that stuff and get it uploaded, all that stuff. So that, that this morning at 8.30 in the morning, I could have a Zoom interview with another guy who was a case study where he could see my face. And I, then I was talking to another friend of mine who, who was in the military who actually his story is amazing because his platoon had their um, had a uh, documentary on National Geographic done to showcase their experience over uh, in the Iraqi war. And Kate Hudson is actually one of the stars in that documentary. Uh, it's on National Geographic. It's a great show. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I was talking to him today, and I said, hey, man, do you mind if I Zoom you real quick to give you uh, talk about our experiences together, what we've done? He said, no, most not, all, not a problem at all. So, again, turned my laptop on, got the Zoom, sent it over to my partner. And actually, my other partner texted me before the show. I'm going to text him after we're done. He needs all the case studies because he's putting together marketing material to be able to send out to people through email to get them excited about our academy. Now, the real point of this is, is that I could complain about having to go to the laptop. I could find all kinds of excuses and say, oh, you know what, man, let's just do it this way. You know, with not seeing my face, it's better, all that stuff. But in reality, if I show my partners that, okay, you know what, this guy's going to go out and buy a laptop, he's going to do what it takes, you know, because yesterday he said this, he's going to say this, these today, you know, taking critique, criticism. It only makes the end product better. What I'm trying to get across to people is that you can't take the shortcuts in life. Are you going to have days where you feel like, oh, man, I want to give up? Yes. Are you going to have days you look at a bank account, you don't have as much money as you want? Absolutely. Are you going to struggle a bit sometimes you, you've made the wrong decision? You betcha. But at the end of the day, you have to do three things. Number one, believe in yourself down to your core. Number two, create a clear vision and or outcome of what you're trying to achieve. And number three, take immediate action. I believe that this, that this product, that this uh, Expert Speaking Academy, uh, Expert Speaking Academy, Elizabeth, is a great program. I believe in that. I have a clear vision of what needs to be done. I need these case studies done. I get it. I took immediate action last night. The laptop wasn't working. I went out and bought one, didn't complain, didn't whine, so I could do effectively for my partners what they need to have done so they can sell the program better and help more people. So, again, you're going to have – I mean, do I still have bad days? Sure. I mean, that's just life. You know, that's the way life is. But if you really truly believe what you're doing, you should have more good days than bad days. Absolutely. I I couldn't agree with you more. I uh I thought um <laughs> I, sometimes your good day your bad days though are everybody's dream. <laughs> you know, I just you know, it's a, have you ever felt that way? You know, everybody says, "Oh, I'm having such a bad day." And somebody'll say to you, "You know, your worst day is somebody else's dream." Yeah. And again, it's all relative. So yeah. You have to be thankful for what you have. Like, you know, I've come Attitude. a long way in the last five, six months. 
I'm on a lot of people's radar. Uh, mm-hmm. I've really put in the time and effort to perfect my craft. I, you know, taking time when you work to do things like working with people like yourself, doing interviews, getting your name out there, you know, getting out your program and through my executive coaching, through my public speaking, uh, through my football story, and really truly being able to get the message out so you can help as many people as you can with what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Let's keep going a little bit here on your story because uh-huh, sure. I love I love stories and I love taking people through the, the thinking process and so forth. So you are drafted. Holy wow. Yep. That must have been quite – quite a moment because it doesn't sound to me like you were the kid in peewee football thinking you were already in the NFL at like age six. <laughs> Sounds like no, yes. <laughs> yeah. So what's that moment like when you're, when you're drafted that, I mean, granted, you know, football's in your background at that point. I, I get it with your brother and things like that, but the, let's focus on you. And what's that like for you? It's gotta be so it's cool. Fair. It's very uh, exhilarating. It's very just uh, exciting to see your name come across the screen on ESPN. Uh, <laughs> yeah. For me, it was, it was April 27, 2003. And at that moment, my life changed. I was no longer playing football just for fun. Even when I got to college, yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's a job, uh, but – not really because, you know, you don't get paid for it. Yeah, you get a free education, which is fantastic, but it's not the same as, you know, you know, being able to pay the bills and have your livelihood. When you go into the NFL and you ask your draft or, or, or picked up and you make the roster or whatever, but when you're drafted, it's no longer a game. It becomes a career. It becomes a job. It becomes your way of life. It becomes what you have to do for that time, as long as you can physically perform, it's, it's the way of life for you. But you should also be building other things while you're doing it, but in reality, it is your main source of income, and it's a true blessing and a, and a gift to be able to say you play in the National Football League. I was talking about somebody about this yesterday. Yeah. There's probably There's probably only about maybe – I would say that's probably living, probably somewhere. The guys have made a roster. They're actually, you know, in the in the system as a vested bet, or actually even made it on a roster for a year. There's probably let's just let's try that. So if you've been on a roster for a year, it's probably like fifty thousand guys. I would say in the world, any time they say they play in the NFL, fifty thousand guys. Guys that can say they're probably vested. Uh, What's that mean? Three years or more. So okay. vested means that you play three years or more. Uh, three years, three games or more, and that when you hit a certain age, either age 45 or 55, depending upon what you're looking to get your uh, get money from, you get money from the NFL. You get retirement, you get 401K, all that. They will not give it to you if you have not made it for three years or three games because they want to see if you can actually stick and right. be someone to get that that, you know, that uh, pension and that retirement money every month if you bait it that long. So I'm a vested player. So there's probably vested, I would say maybe 10, uh, no, well, let me try this. No, seven, it's like, like 7,000 because the NFL legends 
has about six to seven thousand guys. So it's anywhere between six to seven thousand guys in the world that can say they are a vested veteran or part of the NFL legends, part of the NFL retirement, NFLPA retired player association. There's only about seven thousand people that can wow. say that. Yeah. And what's that like? Okay, so, so okay, uh, you're you're in the NFL now. <laughs> Is that a whole new level of <laughs> being? You know, I, I just can't even imagine what it's like playing with those guys. That's just got to be a learning experience in so many different it, ways. It's surreal, but you have to remember that it's a job or a career, how you want to look at it. But it right. takes daily work and daily attention to do it. Just like me being an expert keynote speaker, just like me building up my expert speaking academy, just like me doing my Oz and Leadership Academy, everything requires work. You must learn how to balance what you're trying to accomplish because if you don't balance and you don't put attention in the right areas, things are going to falter. And when things falter, you're going to be in a very bad situation. So it's just like the NFL – some guys get caught up in the money and the cars and the women and the alcohol and the nightlife, and a lot of times those guys don't make it long. And the ones that actually come to work on time and stay late or, or come early, stay late, the ones that, you know, go to the, to the uh, to have 100% attendance on the workouts or ones that, you know, eat the food that's, that's, that's uh, designed by the dietitian or, or by the nutrition on, on um at the facility, the ones that are in the film room, you know, looking at the next week's game and getting an edge on their opponent and the offense or the defense and all that kind of stuff. Those are the ones that stick. Can you, can we talk about that a little bit for a second? Because um, you know how when you get groups of people together, sometimes there's just shenanigans, you know, there's things that people do that you don't want to be a part of or whatever. And no, whatever how how do you um how do you well, let me just go okay there's a guy in, in a baseball camp and i love this quote and it's brendan sullivan the 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 founder of head first for baseball and uh, he said don't ever let anybody shame the work ethic out of you don't ever let anybody shame the work ethic out of you is that hard to do like if you want to be the sure. one who eats all the food and doesn't go drinking and doesn't do all this stuff is that hard to do? Because, it, 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 you know, you want to be a part of a team, but you don't want to engage in that or whatever. You know, it's, it's, talk yeah. about that for yeah, a second. Because yeah, I think it, it'll it, help it, boys it, it, listening or girls. You know, it, it'll help anybody listening who's experiencing it, yeah, this. It's definitely, it's, it's definitely hard to not get involved in the shenanigans and all the stuff going around, the joking, stuff like that. And there's a time to do that. Like, once, you know, camp breaks, and they've identified their 53. Usually, they identified their 53 man roster. And I think today it's like an eight man practice. While like 61, it's like 61 to 63 guys that make the team either on active roster or practice squad. So once they've identified those in camp, you know, when training camp breaks and they're about to, you know, they're going to week one or right right before you start prepping for week one of the season. There's a time where, like, you know, the vets might have a little, like a little wrestling match with the, with the rookies or the rookies yeah. might have to go through some things like a, like, a, like, a, like a rookie show to make the vets laugh, and that's time <laughs> to play. But on the field or in the locker room or in the film room, that's time to play. And okay. I've actually seen 
guys that make a lot of jokes in the meeting room and all this kind of stuff, right, that literally those guys don't make it and they don't last. And you're looking at a situation where people are wondering, why am I not making it? What's going on? Well, because you're not taking this seriously. And the NFL has no time for games. It's just that there has no time for games. Do you? What I was trying to do also was kind of apply that toward any level. So not just the NFL, but like a, co- a college that's, team or high school. Anywhere. or That's anywhere. Anywhere where the culture is about winning and about bettering the players, that they don't have time for shenanigans. Because what happens is that cuts into efficient practice or efficient mental time, and you don't have time for that. If it's a coach who's really serious about, you know, not just winning. I mean, everybody wants to win because you, you keep your job but developing players for life on and off the field. So that's what it's really about. I don't care what sport you play. It could be college. It could be high school. It could be soccer. It could be football. It could be basketball. It doesn't matter. The coach responsible for three things. One, winning, because if he doesn't win, he gets hard to keep a job, which I understand. But just as important or even more important, you have to be developing those players for the game they're playing, but also for the game of life. So it doesn't matter if you're in high school, college, you know, semi-pro baseball, AAA, or you know, D-League basketball, it doesn't matter. Shenanigans are only going to get you nowhere fast unless wherever you are, it's that design time for that type of situation. Yeah, I love it. I think that's a really valuable to hear from you um, to pe- for people listening um, who – you know, and probably in anything, not just sports, but I think that's great, great advice. Um, okay, so now let's talk about, if if you want to, where you are now, because at what point did you go, you know, I know what I'm going to, I know what I'm going to do. I mean, how, what happens when they go, okay, either you decide or it gets decided for you that, you know, you're not going to be playing in the NFL anymore. What's that like? What's that moment like? Because um, I've heard a couple guys um, describe it as, you know, in 20 seconds, my life changed and I didn't know what I was going to do next. And it seems to be some people have it all figured out and some people have a bumpy experience. What did you have? I had a very bumpy experience, just like most people. I was out, I retired from the game when I was like almost, I was about 28 years old and I literally had no idea what to do next. Now, when I was playing, the NFL did not have the NFL trust. It didn't have the NFL, you know, PA, uh, you know, association. It, it didn't have the NFL Retired Players Association. It didn't have, you know, NFL Player Engagement Department. That really has been designed since 2013 as a, as a, as a, as a result of the new C- where these different organizations will get a budget to help players transition. Now, when I got out, it was 2008, 2009, it was not that. So I was very lost. I was very like, my identity is gone on. I got into heavy drinking. I got into heavy you know, pain medication. I got into all kinds of things that weren't good for me because I was lost and I was broken and I had no idea what to do. So I ended up starting a construction business in 2000, uh, 2008, 2009. I grew it to be the largest minority contracting business in the state of Maryland for two years was going great, hit a snag on a job, make a long story short, lost billions of dollars, I'm going to go back, spent billions of dollars in 90 days, didn't get paid back by the developer and contractor, went bankrupt. 
nobody's fault but my own. I should have never got involved with those people, and I should have never uh, – I should have been much more cognizant of what I was doing at that time. So anyway, I ended up doing that, and then I ended up huh, – after my bankruptcy hit in 2013, April, I had to move down to Carolina. I had no real help you know, at that time as far as – you know, anybody's family or support, I just, yeah, I was just lost. But luckily, the NFL CBA had just kicked in in 2013, uh, the, the January, and I ended up going bankrupt in 2013 of April. So I ended up reaching out to them for help. They said, hey, Mark, we have this new program starting to help former players that can prove they need, they're in financial hardship. I applied for it. I got approved for a grant. They paid four months of my bills to my creditors, and I was able oh, to get nice. back on my feet. And then I was working as a football coach and a part-time janitor. And while I was working hard as a janitor on the graveyard ship, it came to me uh, when I had someone's trash get on my bare skin at work and tell, and I want to be a public speaker. And I transitioned from uh, that, so I ended up doing. I still coached football and ran football camps and programs, and I pursued my passion of being a speaker. Well, just, just like I tell all my clients and a lot of guys in the NFL that I work with, when you transition, you start at the bottom. So I did that, and for two and a half years, not one paid job. And again, tying back into my early story, my earlier stories about football through leadership, not giving up, perseverance, but you sometimes feel you're about to quit. In March of 2016, I was coming home from a football camp. I was landing at Raleigh-Durham International Airport, and I told myself on that flight, if I don't get a paid job in a week, I'm done. I'm quitting this. I, I can't do this anymore. I can't do any more free speeches. I can't do any more. I, I, I can't do this anymore. Like, it's just I, I put in work for two and a half years I hope I can get at least one pay job or something to say, hey, Marcus, a sign from God, hey, you're on the right path. Well, as soon as the plane landed, I cut my phone on. My phone dinged, and it was a message from Miller Mott College in Wilmington, North Carolina. They asked me to be their keynote speaker at their 100th, at their 100th commencement graduation speech in Wilmington, North hmm. Carolina. The budget that they had for to pay a speaker was $1,500. I took it. Got on oh, yeah. there, did my first job. wasn't great, but that was good. You know, I had a long way to go. And ever since then, that was in April of 2016, that was my first paid job. I have not turned back since. My clients range from J.P. Morgan, the Home Depot Company, New York Life, MetLife, uh, the National Football League, uh, uh, um, uh, Siemens, Cisco, NetApp, Arizona State University, uh, I have a call here this afternoon with, with, with Kelly School of Business in Indiana. Uh, I've got jobs lined up, you know, uh, uh, in Las Vegas, Nevada, and Austin, Texas. And, you know, I'm now helping others build their business as a speaker. But, again, I literally almost gave up because I had invested so much time, which is normal, but sometimes I'm like, man, this is just too much. I mean, I'm traveling a lot. I'm not getting paid. Yeah. I'm leaving my family. And it's hard when you're doing that. If I'm staying local and doing local jobs and coming back home, no problem. People say, oh, Marcus, come out to, 
you know, to Miami to talk for us for free. Oh, it was a Fortune 500 company. Okay, I did it. You know, oh, Marcus, come out to this event. Uh, you won't get paid. Be great exposure. Uh, you know, and you know what? And eventually they were right. But it's did you re- really hard to tell your wife that you're leaving the family and bringing home nothing to the uh, bring nothing home to the hen house. <laughs> I, I get what you mean. Um, did you <laughs> do you have? I think though, when you're doing th- here's what I want to say: when you're doing things like that for free and so forth, would you uh-huh. say that there was anything positive? For example, like you refined your message, you got experience, yes. you know, all those yes. things. Absolutely, I got great experience. I got great testimonials. I was able to build my archive. Now, here's what you have to understand: if you're going to become a speaker or become or start a new business, it's all about your archive. But I mean by archive videos, video testimonials, testimonial letters, reference letters, anything that can prove that you're doing what you're doing, but not what just you say about yourself. What do others say about you? The real difference. When I started to make really good money as a speaker was when I got companies like J.P. Morgan to vouch for me that I was good. The Home Depot vouched for me that I was good. New York Life, Net Life. Siemens, all all these national and international brands started telling people Marcus did a great job. And really, in the last six months, I've honed in even better because now I use much more visual aids in my PowerPoint presentations, and I'm storytelling on the front side of my presentation. And on the back side, I'm tying in those teaching points to help people truly get the message. If you're going to be a great speaker, now I can't say anything about being an entrepreneur, I can say about being an entrepreneur as well, but I can't say things like, you know, construction, real estate, you know, culinary, you know, radio. I can't say that because that's not my specific trade. But if you're going to be an excellent speaker, you must be able to have a story tie into your story. Okay, and then mm-hmm. after you tell your story and start using points of your life that tie into the message. For example, when I talk about leadership, I talk about when I was 15 years old and I met Bill Belichick for the first time. He was just fired from the Browns and picked up by the Ravens as an assistant. And I heard him talk about leadership, accountability, practicing daily. Anybody that would listen to him, he would talk to them. And I talk about that and then how two years later, Robert Kraft reached out to Ted Marchabroda. Ted Marchabroda told Mr. Kraft that this is the right guy for your team because Mr. Marchabroda was actually retiring at that mm-hmm. time. And I remember, and then I get into, that's leadership. And then I get into my life, how I, my upbringing in my high school and my college and how great leadership skills from guys like Bill Belichick and, and my, from my father and other people in my life, my grandfather, strong male influencers in my life helped me to shape me to become a better leader. I got to, the, and I got to high school, I met Bill Belichick. When I got to the NFL, I met Jack Del Rio. Again, tying in the theme of leadership, you know, being your own CEO, being your own, your own accountable person. And then I get into my business life, my success, my failure, get into how I had to leave Baltimore. And, again, I didn't follow the good leadership skills set by Mr. Mm -hmm. Belichick, set by Mr. Del Rio. 
And that had me falter and had me go downhill fast. Then I get into how I end up bouncing back with the NFL's help down here in Carolina and now how I national keynote speak on these topics. And I've gotten back to what Mr. Belichick and Mr. Dario, Mr. Bashadi, who, who owns the Ravens, Mr. Weaver used to own the Jacksonville Jaguars, what these guys taught me and how I now mm-hmm. build my foundation of my business. So, awesome. again, tying in the best speakers, Tony Robbins, Grant Cardone, uh, Mel Robbins, all these great keynotes, they have one thing in common. They have a great opening story that ties into the theme. They talk about their life, bringing points of the theme up that really hit the point of their lives to help relate, relate to the audience. And then at the end, they have those teaching points that truly hammer home what the client is looking for. That's how I've been very blessed and grateful to build my speaking career because I've learned how to do this by trial and error and by truly just getting out there and putting myself in a position to accept criticism when I wasn't doing it right, get help from other people, to now where I help other people with my speaking, with my executive coaching, and with our yep. program that's going to be launching in February, which is our Expert Speaking Academy. Awesome. What's the Expert Speaking Academy? I forgot about that one. So that is going to be an online program that you can buy into at like a, like a, like a ground level, and then you start getting access to different modules, different training, and then from there, okay. if you want to get into one-on-one coaching, you can pay a little bit more to get coaching from some of our sales team. If you want to get one-on-one coaching by me, you can go up to the next level, pay a little bit more up to the next level. If you want to start coming to some of our academies, you can go up to that level. If you want to start coming to some private dinners with us, it's like a, like, a, like a private group dinner mastermind, you can pay more to get to that level. So, again, this is where the play, because, again, like we talked about earlier, it's not about what I'm telling you about the program, how good it is. It's what others say that from all demographics, military, corporate, African-American, Caucasian, younger, older, that's what sells in today's world. How good are your references of people that have worked with you that can vouch to others that getting into this program can change your life? Change your life, yep. All right, we have five minutes left, and I want to be super respectful of your time because I know you have things to do. Um, what I what I wanted to ask you in all of this that you've been talking about, um, you are the nicest guy. I mean, I, I I've known you for a little bit here now, and and you're just just seems to me to be just one of the nicest people, and I think that that says something volumes sometimes more than anything, you know. Um, but what I really wanted to ask you uh, was how fascinated are you by other people? I'm always fascinated to hear other people's stories. Every one of us has a story. And see, that's what the Expert Speaking Academy and my coaching and my talk as a public speaker really focus on. We all have a story. But if you learn how to tell your story to help you in your corporate job, to help you become a, maybe become a part-time speaker or a communicator, to help you start your own business to kind of grow into your passion, when you learn how to tell your story effectively and coherently and with passion and conviction, 
people are going to start learning how to, to are going to start listening to you. When you don't yeah. speak well or you ramble or you seem like you don't really aren't passionate about it or you're not really sincere or you're really lost in your own story, nobody's going to pay any attention to you. Why would they? So if you can't tell your own story with conviction and passion, well, hell, I'm not, why am I going to tell you mine? Not even listen. If you can't tell yours, not going to listen to mine. That's <laughs> <laughs> a longstanding theme. Um, yeah. Have you? I mean, yeah. Yeah, and so talk about, let's talk about the topic of trust in the last four minutes that we have here. Let's talk about trust because uh-huh. in, sometimes people don't want to admit that they're completely sucking wind. Uh-huh. You have created, I mean, really, and I think, I think Best Ever You and does a good, you know, has a good space for, you know, being vulnerable. And I think, though, you've created a space where, people can be even more vulnerable and organize it into a way that they can share it with other people. Um, And it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, my, my story of this or that, but you know, it can be a great story and you never had a problem, but I find more and more as I meet people and approach 50 that nobody's life is perfect. Nope. Again, if Dwayne Johnson, AKA the rock, can tell you in 1995 he had $7 in his pocket why the company was called Seven Bucks Productions. If Steve <laughs> Harvey can tell you that he slept in his car for three years and ate bologna sandwiches because he's chasing his dream of being a comedian, what's wrong with that? If he can do that, why can't you push forward? If J.K. Rowling could be homeless and write Harry Potter in her car and now be a billionaire, off a story of Dungeons and Dragons and sorcery. Why can't you be successful? You know, and I have heard from so many successful people. The the guy who was um, I forget his name. He stars in he starred in Thor. Literally, oh, yeah. was about to board a flight back to Australia to go home because he had been in L.A. for three or four years with not one paid job. As he's packing his bags get on that plane to go take a plane that, that, that evening, he gets a call from the producer uh, of the movie, you're, our, you're the star of Thor. <laughs> Isn't that wild? Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, so, again, everybody's got a story. So, yeah. you have to trust that your story is your story and that learning how to tell it can help others press forward in their lives so they cannot be ashamed to tell their story. I love it. Absolutely love it. All right, one minute to go. Is there anything I didn't ask you or that we didn't cover that you want to no. talk about? No. Didn't we have I, fun? People, I people, talking to you. People can come. If people, if people want to connect with me, if they want to connect me, you can connect with me on LinkedIn. This is my name, uh, M-A-R-T-E-S, uh, Ogden, O-G-D-E-N, Marcus Ogden. If you want to connect me on Instagram, it's at Marcus Ogden. If you want to do Twitter, it's at Marcus underscore Oz, and then my Facebook is my name, Marcus Oz, is my Facebook. And again, mm-hmm. our academy is going to be in uh, in Vegas, and that's the uh, com website. And if, you, if you're looking for a keynote speaker or someone to help you with your uh, program of uh, leadership development and personal development, reach out to me through my email, which is Marcus, M-A-R-T-U-E-S, underscore Ogden, O-G-D-E-N, at yahoo.com. Perfect. All right, I've loved having you on here as a guest, and I'm I'm so thankful for you, and so thankful you said yes, and I I just love being a part of your life and all you have going on. So thank you, really thank you. I, I, 
It was great. It was, I appreciate it. I look forward to working with you in the future. Yeah, and thank you so much, everybody, to lis- for listening to the show today. Uh, we went the full hour, and um, we went into this. I, I texted Mar- Marcus, and I'm like, you know, I really want to do this show so that we give somebody who's like, on their treadmill today, puts their earphones in, listens to the show and learns something while they're sitting there working out. Or so you've got to commute and you're driving, put the show on and listen again, because there, there are some gems in this show of how to take action and succeed. There's, I don't know if you caught all of it. <laughs> I know I'm going to have to listen a couple of times. And uh, the, the next time I listen to this, I'm going to probably get a pen and a pad of paper out and take some notes. Um, I was trying to just strictly listen today, but I think I'm going to go back and listen because, um, Marcus, really quick, can you go through those three things again that you said um, are just before we go, just so people oh, can listen oh. to it one more time, your three the, things? Because I thought that was so the, cool. You said the three-step action plan? Yep, yep. Just okay, one more time for one. me. Number one, believe in yourself down to your core that what you are doing is the right thing. Number two, have a clear vision and or outcome of what you're trying to achieve. Number three is take immediate action towards being successful. Love it. All right. Thank you so much. I hope you have a great day. And so uh, do you. Thank you, Marcus. Yeah. Awesome. Sorry. Absolutely. <laughs> I, look forward to, I look forward to work with you in the future. Can you tell I hate ending shows? <laughs> I hate the worst part. Not you. It's like, oh, there's more to do. Yeah, I know. Well, you know, we keep going. So anyway, thank you again. And thank you again, everybody, for listening to us. Um, You can share the show. If you go to the show on Blog Talk Radio, we also are syndicated in like five or six different spots now. You can find us on um, iTunes for sure. We're on Stitcher FM. We're all over the place. So it's, it's going, and you guys are just helping us share the show. And um, again, Marcus websites for everybody listening are OgdenLeadership.com and MarcusOgdenPublicSpeaker.com. And then he's got this great event coming up um, in, in May, May 17th and 18th in Nevada. So I'll put all of those links on the show and um, it, we should go into replay mode here. So thank you again for listening, everybody. Take care and have a great day. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Best Ever You Show. Want more? Visit us at besteveryou.com. Be your best and keep it real. Confident, successful, caring, and beautiful every day with Best Ever You. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.